It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new series of Talking Point. 2022 is finally here. We finally managed to see the new cars running in a race and Bahrain was an excellent one to start with, I thought. Uh, Charles Leclerc taking his first victory since 2019. Ferrari, first 1-2 since Singapore in 2019. They've got a maximum points all at the start of a brand new se- a season and that's uh, something that the Scuderia fans will have been wanting for a very, very long time. Uh, a double retirement for Red Bull uh, this plenty to get into. And I'm delighted to say that the first person joining us today is James McKenzie from Formula Nerds. James, welcome to Talking Point. Uh, how are you? Hi, I'm all right. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. So what did you make of it all? It was a race that kind of started off with a bit of drama. It kind of looked like it was going to peter out and then a late safety car brought everything back to life again. I think we've heard that one before, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was It was great. It was, I think, exactly what the sport needed. Uh, it was from my point of view, what I needed after, you know, the what we've gone through over the winter, it was a great reset. And it looks like the the rules are going to potentially have the impact that they're supposed to have. That's it. Ross Braun spoke really sort of excitedly about how the new rules came in and how everything looked for, for the first race as well. That's uh, signs are pretty encouraging, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. There was, you could see that there, there was less sliding about in the, the dirty air of the cars in front. And obviously we had that massive battle for you know three laps between Charles and Max uh yeah no it, it definitely looks like it's it's going to be the way forward let's hope so as well and uh, the competitive order you know how much difference does that make having like two teams actually competing at the front considering Mercedes made such a bright start to the last era and it was pretty much just a, a private battle between them wasn't it so to have Red Bull and Ferrari at the front makes such a difference to us as fans more than anything else doesn't it yeah I was I was worried from certainly the the Bahrain pre-season test and then uh, somewhat Friday practice that Red Bull and Max were going to run away with it because I just Ferrari have promised so much in so many pre-seasons and then under-delivered a bit when it actually under-delivered a bit when it actually came to the the real season so I was just waiting for Max to kind of pull out that extra half a second and then it would have been yeah at least with you know the the Merck dominance years we had Lewis versus Nico but I think it, it wouldn't have really been Max versus Checo, it would have just been Max. So yeah, no, it's it's great to see them both at the front, and maybe maybe Mercedes can join them. 
and it was a great race just overall as well, wasn't it? I mean, like Carlos Sainz sort of complained about being quite far off the pace and then in qualifying, he managed to pull that back a bit, but Leclerc just looked to have that that kind of edge, didn't he? Yeah, I think if you look at kind of over the, the 2021, obviously Carlos came out slightly on top, but that's just consistency and that's what Carlos does. Uh, Charles' highs were lower and his lows were lower. But he, I think, at least on raw pace, he seems to have that edge. I'm sure it will, it will change throughout the season. Another example of uh, of teammates going into the season as friends, and then if they start competing for for titles, yeah. who knows what? Could, we know that story, don't we? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now we'd like to to bring in Oliver Harden, who is going to talk through our post race conclusions. Uh, we just, we've touched on Leclerc already there, Oliver, and he, um, you know, he looks like a man reborn, doesn't he? He does, yeah. I think I think there's been risks that fans have taken him for granted a little bit over the last few seasons. You know, he had that uh, that wonderful start to his Ferrari career in 2019, obviously winning in Spa and obviously at Monza. Um, and since then, obviously Ferrari were caught out with their engine tricks. Um, and come to, come uh, last season, uh, signs um, signs outscored him in his first season as a Ferrari driver, and people were kind of thinking, you know. Where exactly is Leclerc heading? Um, how how good actually is he? You know, um, but I think driving a an underperforming car over the last few years has only made him a more complete driver. You know, I think um, it's it's a good experience for any driver because I think it teaches them to be more ruthless. He already said after the race as well that he tried to be sort of clever in the way he defended from Verstappen too, and uh, he managed to get him back at turn four a couple of times, and that shows the sort of racecraft that he's probably developed while he's been battling in the midfield too because you're more going to be more likely to be in the fight aren't you yes he's always he's always been almost like a kind of chameleon in f1 terms because you know he, he doesn't have a kind of set style he have got a lot of criticism if you remember in austria 2019 we may be a little bit soft when verstappen overtook him right at the end and then the next race in silverstone he fought verstappen you know as, as hard as anyone ever has really um so he's always had that in him and yeah it was really uh exciting to see him you know overtaking him twice in consecutive laps at turn four. And Verstappen tried to keep it clean in his words as well, which, uh, you know, it's it's a long season ahead now that he's got that title. Do you reckon it'll be a case of uh, sort of playing the championship game a bit more from him now that he's got that experience of doing so? I, he must be disappointed at the end of that. You know, I think he was very he was very serene at the end of qualifying. I think he knew, he'd, he'd obviously had a very good Friday. His long run pace was, was extremely good. And I think at the end of qualifying, he was quite confident of flying away in the race. Um, from the front obviously it didn't work out that way and he became extremely irate as, as the race went on you know obviously with with the instruction not to push on his outlaps and then as the car fell piece by piece towards the end yeah let's talk about rebel as a whole then so a double dnf for them uh three out of four rebel powertrains cars uh failing to finish as well so that's not the best start for them overall and uh, you could tell that that verstappen in particular really wasn't happy with the way things pl- panned out because he immediately said that this could end up having uh ramifications for the title didn't he yeah exactly i think there's an emphasis emphasis on uh red bull to strike when when mercedes are weak because even though leclerc um won the race on sunday i think most people are still looking at mercedes as as the main opposition um and yeah it's it's a really wasted opportunity actually to make some really good ground on mercedes the irony here is that for all of mercedes struggles at the start of the season lewis never had this big of an advantage in points over max mm. last year at any point <laughs> Wow, that's yeah, that something you probably didn't really think about. And same with uh, Verstappen's sort of laps led stats, isn't it? Like he led more than half of the laps throughout the entire season, too. Yeah, absolutely. So 
like Red Bull as a whole, then it's uh, that's the sort of opportunity they can't really afford to waste, especially while they do have a quicker car. Do you reckon they can sort of pull it back for Jeddah? I'd expect them to, to be honest, because, you know, the car was very quick. I think there's still a lot of doubt about whether Ferrari do have a car for all seasons, basically whether they can convert the Bahrain performance into every race. Um, I would still regard him as the overwhelming favourite for the title for Stappen. But Leclerc, excellent on uh, Sunday, yeah. And looking back at Mercedes as well, I mean, like Hamilton did admit that they were quite fortunate to get P3 and 4, but it's an opportunity they they took that was in front of them. And uh, like to to do that while they're on the back foot as well, that's that's quite encouraging from their point of view, isn't it? Yeah, it was a real um, eye-opener of the race. You know, I think just before the safety car, Hamilton pitted from being almost 39 seconds, I think, behind Leclerc. So, so that's a massive gap for them to close um, going forward. I think at the beginning of the season, at least until they get to, to the European season, with uh, you know essentially a C-spec car, um, it's about staying in the hunt and taking advantage of the variables. And there's no better driver to do that than Hamilton. And what of George Russell then, James? He's uh, he started with uh, with that P9 in qualifying. He probably overcooked it into turn one, didn't he? That left him uh, so far behind. But he he looked to recover pretty well, didn't he, in the race? Yeah, I I saw a lot of criticism of him, but it was. It was a solid debut. I mean, I think so So many people have overhyped him uh, to some extent or certainly hyped him up a lot. Uh, and a lot of people then have kind of gone the opposite opposite way and you know, said that he's, he's not all that. I think if most people came in alongside a seven-time world champion at their debut at a new team and were within a few seconds for the most part, and yeah, he, he messed up his Q2 lap. He's not Mr. Saturday anymore, I think. That, that <laughs> nickname will probably peter out um but yeah it was definitely a solid debut and fourth from ninth he, he did pretty much everything he could the same as lewis did with the car yeah. they've got now and he was already um he's already said before how much he wants to be mr sunday so going up five places isn't exactly bad going to be fair is it no no definitely it's uh yeah because people have wondered how good he is on a sunday which is potentially a case of him just over out qualifying the the ability of his car last well, the last two years so yeah well no we'll see but i think he's he's got a bit more than uh we've probably seen mm. and one more feel-good story of the day oliver like kevin magnuson coming back to the grid after such short notice as well and uh, qualifying really well and taking p5 in the end that's that's quite remarkable isn't it Really is, yeah. It's, it's a sign that um, bringing him back, I think it's a sign that Haas is starting to take F1 a bit more seriously again. Obviously, it makes such a difference having a proper serious racing driver back in that car alongside Mick Schumacher after Mazepin last yeah, season. No comment on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, he's just relishing, you know, is is another chance in F1. Yeah, absolutely. And he he looked to be on the pace straight from the off as well, James, didn't he? That's, you know, considering he's had a year out of the car, that's that, that's really impressive from him. Yeah, no, it's, I think he, he shocked a lot of people. Everyone knows that, yeah, Kevin has got a, a lot of speed in him, but we didn't really see it towards the end of his career. Uh, and generally, he, he kind of had the edge on Grosjean, but yeah, it was a case of getting 16th rather than 17th. So yeah, it, it does make you question a bit almost how, obviously the, the Haas car lot wasn't great last year. We all know that, but maybe it wasn't quite as bad as we thought because, I mean, yeah, K-Mag's come in and immediately dominated Mick with basically no testing and then we know Mick dominated Mazepin so yeah it'll be a much tougher benchmark for for Mick this year I think. Um, Oliver what do you make of that especially from from Mick's point of view I mean it's a big year for for him especially if he's looking to impress Ferrari in the future I mean I know Science Leclerc are doing such a good job but 
he needs to beat Magnuson over the course of the years to put himself on that radar, doesn't he? Magnuson has taken the shine away from Mick Sartney, isn't he? Um, you know, everybody, I think, really wants Mick to succeed, obviously, because of the backstory, because of his his, his dad, obviously. Um, but I think there have always been question marks over his full potential. And I think for Magnuson to just walk straight into that team, very short notice and not performing straight away. Fair enough, Mick was spun by Ocon at the start. Yeah, I think Mick's going to have to go some to, to fight Magnuson. He can raise his level, James, because like having a better driver alongside you surely brings the best out of you, right? Yeah, definitely. We've seen that with teammates for the most part uh, over the years. I mean, you get some who certainly alongside Max have just kind of crumbled, uh, but that is arguably down to the way that Red Bull have, have managed the situations. But yeah, uh, he'll he'll have to he'll have to raise his game, and we've seen equally like Lewis and Max arguably seemingly raise their levels when they were up against each other last year. It does tend to happen, especially when it's your teammate. There are, there are no real excuses. And lastly, unfortunately, Oliver, the last conclusion that was made was the fact that McLaren just like have to improve, don't they? That was um, that was quite a disappointing weekend for them, but to say the least, especially considering how good they looked in testing too. It really was. It's very strange how it's just fallen apart for McLaren after looking so good in Barcelona. Um, I think the Grand Prix weekend was a continuation of the problems they experienced in the test with the um, overheat, overheating brakes, uh, quite a chronic issue for them. And I think there's been some talk that they had to run in um, a compromised air um, railway to kind of manage that problem through the weekend. So I would expect them to, to be much improved in Jeddah. You'd hope that they would be. Otherwise, it could be a long season for them. Lando Norris said he is expecting more pain to come, James, and that you know that's not really that encouraging considering they arguably wanted to take at least P3 in the constructors this year and possibly even more than that considering how last season went for them. Yeah, and I mean, it's easy to forget they were they were top of the first day of the, the pre-season shakedown or whatever it's called, non-test at Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. The test that wasn't <laughs> yeah. a test, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Lando finished up. At top of the timesheets and everyone kind of thought, oh, it's, maybe it's going to be Ferrari and McLaren at the front. And it's, yeah, obviously they, they struggled with the brake issues in Bahrain and that's hampered their, their second test, only official test. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't think anyone expected them to be struggling this much. I mean, Daniel Ricciardo, P14, Lando Norris, P15. That's not the sort of thing they signed up for. I mean, Norris tried to keep some kind of brave face on it, Oliver, but it's, that's going to be difficult to do if they're still like this five, six races in. Yeah, it was weird how we changed from qualifying to, to the race because after qualifying, he was like, this is very track-specific track for us. Um, there were lots of high-speed corners in Barcelona. That maybe flattered them. There were slow-speed corners in Barre. Maybe that counted against them. On Sunday night, it was almost... It looked almost a bit lost, as if you know how we could they get to the bottom of the of, of the problems. Um, but I think there is potential in that car deep down, and I think they're going to start to extract that as as, as the season develops. Uh, let's hope so for their sake as well. And um, let's let's touch on the Mercedes power unit as well. Actually, quite a lot of their their power cars were were running towards the the bottom of the timesheets, and to like to say that Mercedes had the dominant engine for probably the last eight nine years, James. That's that's a very like well worrying yet um surprising sign isn't it yeah uh, i was uh, j- just about to ask what you guys thought of that because like you say i think yeah there was a point during the race when the bottom six cars were were mercedes the bottom four in qualifying were all mercedes powered i've heard rumors that it's uh the, the new e10 fuel that maybe doesn't kind of agree particularly with their with their power unit i don't know if that's the case but yeah it's 
it's bizarre after what we've been used to over the last, well, since the start of the hybrid era. Definitely, and to to see to see that is yeah, it's it's almost uh, in a way a bit like when Ferrari was so off the pace in two thousand and five, wasn't it? It's just it, it kind of jars you, doesn't it, Oliver? Yeah, um, with with um, Mercedes, I think six of the bottom eight cars in qualifying through the speed trap were Mercedes cars, so that's that's an indication of the problems. I think it could almost be traced back to to, to the loss of Andy Carl in 2020 because there was a clear weakness with the Mercedes power unit in 2021. Obviously, Bottas, I think he had three good grid penalties in the space of four weekends in the second half of the season. That's almost unheard of in, in the hybrid era, at least. And after suffering with reliability the, um, last season, I think there's, there's a few uh, deficits on the performance side this time too. And that's that's worrying in in terms of the drivers and constructors championship too. Like, could they finally have that uh, that crown under threat? Quite possibly, yeah. Um, I think uh, Perez is still very. It's it's difficult to bank on Perez because even when you know Ferrari and Red Bull were still still very clearly ahead, he was still you know getting getting passed by Magnussen, getting Hamilton to start. I don't think you can trust him in the same way. And uh, with Ferrari having an all-star lineup in terms of Sainz and Leclerc, I think that's not far off Hamilton that's- Russell as one of the strongest on the grid. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Well, um, Oliver, what what do you reckon is the sort of one big conclusion that that came out of this race that may sort of translate into Jeddah and beyond? Because like there was so much to take from the first race of the season, but like, do you reckon Mercedes' problems will probably continue on a bit longer? I think for, for as as a bigger conclusion goes, I think it's that that Ferrari are back and they're properly back and they're probably going to be winning lots of races this season, potentially mounting a mounting a championship challenge. I think. I think the nature of the weekend, I think it shows that Leclerc deep down does have an edge over science. I think there are a few little de- deficits in um, science's driving style that kind of holds him back a little bit in the, in the intra-team battle. Um, so, yeah, I would say Ferrari Ferrari being back is a big takeaway from, from Bahrain, yeah. And we'll look forward to see how that develops. Oliver, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Cool. So it's, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? The, you, the first race, it's so hard to tell over the course of the season like how things are going to pan out, James. It's, uh, it, but it's, it's going to be very exciting for us, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's refreshing to see after, obviously, we've had, yeah, 2019, 2020, just uh, pretty much Merck dominance with Max getting in there, the, the old Hambot Ver that everyone knew so well. <laughs> and then even last year, it was, you know, this incredible battle, but it was still Mercedes and Red Bull. And it's it's great to have Ferrari back in the mix again. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and every driver sort of performs differently in terms of their own standards. And uh, thankfully, we uh, we have one of our writers on hand to talk through his uh, his driver ratings after the uh, after the Bahrain Grand Prix. Welcome, John Wild. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Henry. Yeah, glad to be uh, back into the swing of the season. And so, like, head headlines from your from your driver ratings then. Charles Leclerc, perfect ten. Had to be, didn't it? It was a faultless performance from uh, from Leclerc, I thought, over the weekend. Pole position uh, got away cleanly from, from the start. Um, was was briefly challenged by Max, wasn't he, in that, that little duel on um, lap 17 and 18. But uh, he saw him off and uh, went on to, uh, to complete the win with the fastest lap as well. So, yeah, very, very hard to fault uh, a complete performance from him. Right, James, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, it was, it was very satisfying to see. I mean... <laughs> Last year was largely a case of Lewis avoiding Max as a, a whole over the season. So it was nice to get, see you know someone really getting their elbows out. And as we touched on earlier, I think Charles is, is always going to do that after 2019 Austria. 
so yeah, no, he, he didn't put a foot wrong and he, he held his own. I particularly enjoyed when he kind of nipped back just in front of Max on that, that first lap battle. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the first of the laps that they were battling. Uh, so that was a, a great move. Yeah, brave as well, considering the the form that not just but Max, but, but Leclerc's not been afraid to get his elbows out either in the past, has he? No, definitely. I mean, they, they came together at that corner in 2020, didn't they? Mm. So yeah, no, it's good to see. No, absolutely. Right, John, uh, one question I do have for you. Why did Kevin Magnussen not get 10 from your point of view? <laughs> um, I probably would have just marked him down slightly just because of a couple of mistakes he made into turn one. He, he lost a couple of places there early in the race. But uh, yeah, you're right. It, it is very hard to mark him down given uh, the performance he's put in on his, on his return to the sport. Um, he, he's been like a breath of fresh air, hasn't he? He's come into that team um, to replace Mazepin. And uh, yeah, he's um, he, he was he was much quicker than Mick throughout the weekend uh, and looked like he'd never been away, really. And uh, I just hope he can he can keep it up uh, for, for the rest of the season and, and that the, the Haas can keep producing the pace that it did on Sunday. That's it. They sacrificed the entire 21, 2021 season, didn't they? And um, thankfully, that looks like it's had uh, had some kind of effect for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, uh, the, the thing with Haas is obviously that um, they've got big support from Ferrari. They've got the Ferrari engine in the car now. Um, I think the future looks bright for them. I think, I think um, you know, Mick Schumacher was interviewed after the race where he said that uh, he wouldn't be surprised if they could even record a podium or two this season, which they might need things to obviously go their way big style for that with with a big melee at the start or a lot of retirement problems. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's looking good for Haas, the third in the Constructors' Championship already, which is a, a position that he could have only dreamed of a few weeks ago. And, uh, I doubt they'll hold on to it, but um, you know, they're, they're certainly looking in good shape for uh, a production team. Yeah, and that's that's extremely positive for them, isn't it, James? Considering you know just the amount of pain that they've gone through, and not just with everything on the track, but things off the track in, in the close season too. That must be such a, a tonic for them, if nothing else. Yeah, and it, it had to be really. It had to be after, like you said, abandoning twenty twenty one. If they'd still been at the back this year, wouldn't have been a, a good look. Um, no, so it's it's great to see them back towards the the sharp end. And John as well, looking at Alpha Tauri next, I mean, obviously Pierre Gasly uh, retired in what he described as a barbecue at, at the back of his car. I mean, thankfully, you know, first and foremost, he was able to get out of his car okay. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's the main thing to come out of that. And he could he can make a joke about it afterwards. But what of Yuki Sonoda making up eight places in the race? Yeah, I'm glad you've mentioned uh, Yuki, Henry. He, uh, he, he did uh, produce the biggest uh, improvement from grid to checkered flag, didn't he? Eight places. Just repeating what he did at Bahrain last year, really, he had a fantastic debut there, didn't he? he? I think he overtook three world champions on his way to collect a couple of points on his his debut then. And uh, yeah, I, I just hope that Yuki can keep it up, you know, because obviously he didn't really build on that terrific debut last year. He started sort of crashing in practice and qualifying. There's, there's sort of questions called about his um, his actual future in the AlphaTauri team even, but they gave him a second year and he's made a really bright start. He's got a few points under his belt already, so uh, let's hope uh, he can keep that up. So with that, why did you only give him 8 out of 10? Like, I've already seen a few pelters in the comments about this already. <laughs> okay, I, I must admit I've not, uh, not, not delved into those myself as yet, but uh, yeah, I mean... Probably for the best <laughs> in <yeah>. some ways. <laughs> 
Well, we, we, are, we are just starting out on it, of course, Henry. It's the first time I've done it, actually, this uh, this week. So we're just feeling our way a little bit with it. But uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll master it eventually. But, yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully uh, there'll be some some performances from Yuki later on in the season where we can give him even higher marks. And looking further down the grid as well, like who would you say were the biggest disappointments for you? Uh, you've got to got to go with the, the two McLaren drivers. I mean, obviously they're, they're very very hamstrung by the car, aren't they? But um, Lando, I guess, would have to be disappointed with with Daniel Ricciardo finishing ahead of him, which is a reversal from their their grid positions. Um, Aston Martin, we've we've not really touched on too much as yet. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg. Did as much as he could have done, really, I think, in the circumstances, given that he came in at short notice for Sebastian Vettel. But I have seen, a, or I did hear a suggestion uh, that uh, he might still be in the car in, in Saudi Arabia next week if uh, Seth decides he needs a, a little bit longer to recover. But I actually thought it was a, a really clean race. There was, there was far more positive performances than, than negatives. Perhaps Fernando Alonso had a bit of a quiet weekend. Um, he was... He was outpaced by Esteban Ocon in the race. Uh, he'll be looking to improve in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but on the whole, I think a very clean, tidy race for the first one of the season with the new cars. And, uh, and that bodes well for the rest of the campaign. It's what we needed, wasn't it, James, after after everything that's gone on the past few months? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, It was a breath of fresh air, I think, yeah. After the high controversy of the last three months and the the Twitter wars and the general ill feeling around the sport. It was yeah a great refresher and yeah, I'm sure it will only build from here. Yeah. And uh, just building on John's point of um, Aston Martin there, James, I mean, they had such high hopes coming into the year and that, that will massively put them on the back foot, won't it? Yeah, it's, it's ironic, really. They spent so many years as the plucky underdog, as Racing Point and Force India kind of punching above their weight. I mean, even back to Jordan, obviously. And and now they've got the funding and they're going the opposite direction. <laughs> Not ideal for them, John, is it? No, it isn't. Um, but one other driver I think uh, I'd like to give a quick mention to, if I may, Henry, is, Guan, is Sho Guan Yu. Uh, I must, must get, uh, get his name the right way around. Sho Guan Yu uh, and Valtteri Bottas as well for, for Alfa Romeo had a terrific race. Uh, I actually thought at one stage the Alfa Romeo looked the quickest car on track. Um, I, I thought he, he might have been able to make even, even more progress and uh, and, make, and make it and finish even higher up than we did. I, I, I thought they were very impressive. But, uh, both of them had issues um, at starts and restarts. Valtteri Bottas, in in particular, at the start lost a, a lot of places, tumbled down the grid. But he recovered really well to finish sixth. And uh, given the way that that car looked after the Barcelona shakedown, uh, they've made massive progress, and uh, the future looks bright for them. I think. Yeah, and Joe's the he's the only rookie on the grid this year, which is quite surprising in Formula One itself because you normally see at least two or three. And um, like, I think he described the, the fact that he was speechless after the race as well to get his first points in Formula One at the first attempt. Like, how much of a confidence boost will that be for him? Oh, it has to be a huge confidence boost. I mean, for me, I, th- I thought it was a performance very akin to, to that of Yuki Sonoda last year, actually, in Bahrain, where he came in as, as the newbie on the grid. And uh and just didn't look out of place at all. He looked at, he looked as though he'd been driving there for five or ten years. It was a an excellent performance. He was he was going wheel to wheel with Lewis Hamilton. He was putting in overtakes. Came away with a point on his debut. Can't ask for much more than that. It's uh, yeah, he's he's already looking like he's justifying his place in the team. Last one from us on uh, on driver ratings, John. Like, who do you think has the most improvement to do? Oh, so most improving to do in in Jeddah, not necessarily the team, but a, a driver overall. We've got to look down to to the back of the grid, haven't you? I mean, um, 
Nicholas Latifi qualified 20th and last and didn't really cut much ice in, in the race either. Alex Albon looked as though he was he was well on top of, uh, of the Canadian all weekend. And, you know, there's, Nicholas Latifi does have his critics, of course, because he's he's referred to as a, as a pay driver. Um, he's, a, he's the sort of um, individual, I think, who needs to uh, to raise his game. And um, otherwise, he's... he's, he's you know, his place at Williams could potentially come under threat uh, were it not for the funding. So, um, yeah, he, he's somebody who I want to see a lot more from uh, over the next few races. And let's hope for his sake that he's, uh, he's able to do that. So, John, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Henry. Um, so, I, it's, there's plenty to digest, isn't there, James, with uh, with so much yet to be decided this season. And, um, you know, we, we may as well just look ahead to next weekend because there's still... It's, it's only a few days turnaround, isn't it? So there's uh, there's not much time yeah. for the things to improve. Is there? No, and that's that's obviously what Mercedes was saying. There's going to be no silver bullet in the next what four days until they're basically back straight at it again. Uh, and yeah, there are probably going to be very few new parts coming with such a yeah quick turnaround and it being so far away from all the bases. We'll see. I'm sure you know if they've got a, a real a killer part to add to the 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 car then obviously any team is going to make sure it gets there but yeah no it's but it's a totally different track again it's it's yeah the world's fastest street circuit so we could see the the order jumble up again Oliver mentioned um, earlier on the uh, the fact that you know the McLaren sort of did well around the sort of fast corners of Barcelona so hopefully for their sake they might be able to be a little bit more of a factor around the edges of the points yeah, I was I was thinking that myself um, earlier when when he was when he was talking about that and Mercedes as well because I know that uh, in one of the interviews after the race, Lewis was saying that generally their their strongest point has been fast corners, which I think was also the case last year. But yeah, he said that they obviously were struggling in a straight line, mostly with the porpoising, and then around the slow corners. So Mercedes could maybe push a bit closer to the front too. Yeah, and hopefully McLaren will get a bit more in the mix. Uh, yeah, it could change everything and you know away from the track there was obviously plenty said about you know the the sort of mass execution that took place in Saudi Arabia recently it was brought up with Stefan Domenicali about the human rights concerns there and um you know that he he was of the opinion that the sport could sort of highlight these issues and obviously we saw some um some rainbows on the grid last year to uh to sort of promote like LGBTQ plus rights and um like would you hope to see the same kind of thing again in Saudi just to you know just keep keep a spotlight on these issues yeah there there has to be because sports washing is such a, a a delicate issue and it's it's very prevalent at the moment and yeah the to prove to the world that f1 isn't there just because of the money they have to really use that spotlight as as so many people say to to push for push for good and um yeah I, I i wondered if that was the the reasoning behind alpine's livery switch i haven't seen it officially but the fact that they've gone full pink for the first two races i don't know if that's anything to do with it <laughs> um to be honest uh, having seen the alpine car launch and uh, the the sort of uh, chair of bwt wearing uh, sort of a, a pink sort of ascot around his neck and everything i, I do wonder if it if that's probably like, more to do with it considering their uh, their sort of pink associations with cars before but you know you'd you'd hope that the teams would do do something to sort of highlight these issues wouldn't you yeah 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 definitely and yeah they i'm sure they will uh, they obviously have uh, had a fair amount of support for ukraine in various ways over the first race as well so yeah there, there's plenty to 
to push for at the moment. Yes, um, but but heading back to the track for now, uh, are you expecting sort of a resumption of uh, the Red Bull Ferrari duel, as it were? And um, like, can can Red Bull put those engine issues behind them? Uh, well, I hope it it stays as it was because that was pretty much perfect in terms of them seemingly being very much level uh, over the course of the whole weekend. Uh, yeah, like I was saying, it, everything could change, and I hope Ferrari don't just fall back. Um, yeah, or maybe Mercedes can join the fight a little bit closer, at least to you know get in the mix. Maybe a Lewis or George nick into fourth place or so. Uh, yeah, no. It in terms of the engines. We'll have to see. Again, it's it's not very long to to fix the problem um, if there is a, a persistent problem, which is obviously unproven as yet. Fair enough. And there's yeah, still a lot of a lot of unknowns heading into the weekend ahead, especially because as you say, it's such a such a different track with such different characteristics too. I mean, they've um, they've made some safety improvements this year, considering how how blind some of the corners were and that some of the walls have been moved back. And uh, like, how important do you think that is? Because it, it did look a bit dicey at times last year. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a, a highly controversial race for various reasons, which kind of glossed over the fact that, yeah, the, there were such safety concerns over the, the race because aside from a pretty heavy crash from Mick, which obviously yeah, set some of that controversy into into action, it was it was mostly free of any yeah dangerous events. But I honestly spent the entire weekend nervous. I was waiting for something bad to happen. Uh, and yeah, I'm glad to see that they've made a few changes. I think we'll see how uh, effective they are. Let's hope so. And uh, right, I've put you on the spot now. Who's winning next weekend? Oh. Uh, I will back Max to bounce back, I think. Okay, well, get himself on the board for the season at least. And James, before we let you go, uh, we wanted to discuss uh, your F1 first. So this is going to be a little section where we just talk about your first memories of Formula One and uh, and how you know how it sort of influenced you really and how much of a, a part it's played in your life. So first of all, what is your what is your first memory of Formula One? So I know that I I watched before this because uh, there's there are photos of me in literally in a cot uh, watching one of the uh, uh, early Japanese Grand Prix. I think it was because my dad was a huge. Uh, f1 fan and uh, my mum as well so i was brought up on it my first specific vivid memory was damon hill winning the world title in 1996 i can i remember we were at my grandparents house and we'd recorded it because it was on at 3 a.m yeah. uh, and we were watching it the next morning i remember jack villeneuve going off into the gravel and i was jumping about on the sofa as a little kid and my dad was uh yeah trying to <laughs> not spill his beer i think uh but got visibly <laughs> choked up at murray's infamous uh yeah uh, lump, lump in my throat line at the <laughs> oh end. you beat me to it i was gonna see if you had a lump in your throat yeah, yeah i was a bit young to have a lump in my throat but uh i was very excited <laughs> oh fair enough and um so was damon hill the first driver you supported like did you have any sort of particular allegiance to a driver or team yeah, I mean, I certainly supported Damon. I think, again, was uh, even younger, Nigel Mansell, just because they were British and winning and my dad told me to. But uh, my first driver that I picked for myself, and I couldn't really tell you exactly why, was Giancarlo Fisichella. It was, I know, the year the year after that, he, I think this is the point where I picked him. Uh, right. he, he and Ralph Schumacher crashed, I think, at Buenos Aires. Don't hold me to that. But they were on for a podium in the Jordan. Uh, and I think I felt a bit bad for him and he seemed to have a, little, a lot of potential. So I was a, a, a Fissy fan for the first 10 years of my uh, love of F1 from him being in it until Lewis joined, really. 
Uh, uh, just how much of like uh, we we all have it with sport, don't we? The these sort of early influences on us. I mean, your dad sort of making you support someone. You know, it's, it's similar in the sort of yeah. same vein to football, isn't it? Like, uh, just you know, how much is it? Well, the sport has grown so much in recent years. Like, are you please see that happen because you know, like sometimes I mean, I, I know with my friends, like uh, Formula One can be so marmite, can't it? But you know, so you either love it or hate it. But it's it's slowly coming around to more and more people enjoying it. Yeah, obviously, Drive to Survive has had a, a huge effect on that, and in general, with the way that Liberty have run the sport, and it's it's got. So, I mean, I grew up being my the only person I knew who liked F one. You know, as, as a child, none of my friends at school cared about it. Uh, literally my entire school life i don't think i had a friend who cared about f1 <laughs> and now suddenly all these people have kind of not come out the woodwork but has suddenly found an interest in it and the younger generation and now i know a load of people who were last year certainly in the, the major talking points would message me going oh i was just watching the f1 and, this <laughs> and what do you think about max and lewis and whatever else and yeah it's it's great to see it's a little bit of a, a double-edged sword because there is certainly, I think, been a, a more toxic environment on social media since the, the last couple of years. But that's kind of the nature of social media. I don't think we can blame that on the influx of fans. Oh, and uh, I don't know if you feel the same thing, but I mean, maybe it's just me, but I feel like a sort of certain smugness like talking yeah. to, to people who've just got into it now because yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I know more about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, I was at Silverstone yeah, back in the day watching this and that, yeah. Was uh, was Silverstone one of the first races you attended? Was that you know was that sort of one of your first memories of seeing Formula One live? Yeah, I know. I, again, I'm kind of too young to remember it. I know when I was very young, we went to Silverstone. I think maybe just for practice or qualifying. Um, and yeah, my my mum likes to tell me how I was there as a three year old or something, and pointing at Gianni Morbidelli and confusing all the the punters around us that there was a little kid who knew the Minardi driver by the design of his helmet. Um, but yeah, I think we went there, and then I know that. I went to Spa on a whim uh, when we were actually traveling around France again when I was very young and we just but we obviously got the very cheap seats and we just sat in the in the trees and couldn't see anything oh, fair enough but thank thank you very very much for joining us today by the way so uh, you're from from Formula Nerds like how are we able to find you on the internet yeah uh, well it's formulanerds.com which you can find all the latest F1 news and we have uh, two podcasts we have the Cut to the Race podcast which goes out on a Sunday after each race and uh, a midweek news one called news from the nerds which i'm the, the co-host on and uh yeah that's probably the best place to find us and all your usual social media yeah i'm trying to f- think if we've got the better pun or you for our podcast but you know no, they're, they're both good, they're both good. <laughs> yeah we'll say that and uh so james thank you very, very much for joining us and uh, i hope we'll see you soon yeah it's been a pleasure thanks Thank you. Uh, don't forget for for Planet F1, you can find like everything you need to know on planetf1.com, and uh, you can find us on all the social media platforms as well. So we are at Planet underscore F1 on Twitter. You can just type in Planet F1 to Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram as well. So thank you very much for joining us for this uh, this first edition of Talking Point for the 2022 season. Hopefully, there's plenty more to come, and we will look forward to speaking to you after Saudi Arabia. Podcast Network.